you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'm a nerd overdrive. I will always survive. Fanboy, baby. Feel so alive watching Babylon 5. Just want to be a fanboy, baby. Making best friends with a robot bender. Hey, it is the Fanboy Planet Podcast. Welcome. I'm Derek McCaw, Editor-in-Chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And uh, with me tonight, of course, is Fanboy Planet producer, podcast producer. Rick Brett Snyder. And we have a special guest tonight. Uh, it's, it's He's been on the podcast once or twice before. Uh, oh. But for our topic tonight, uh, as we were just saying... Uh, for the past uh, six months, perhaps five, five months, he and I have been gushing over this television series. So it's time to just come in and, and have a, a good geek out all together. Uh, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Chuck Surface. I am a, a comic book aficionado. I am a co-editor on both the Drink Tank and um, Journey Planet fanzines. Um, look for me at chucksurface.com. I believe you are contractually obligated to say Hugo Award nominated, if not Hugo Award winning, it is Journey a winning. Planet. Yeah, it is winning. So Hugo Award winning fanzines. Otherwise, right now, somewhere in the distance, Chris Garcia just felt this disturbance in the force and and may have passed out. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to put five dollars in the jar for that one. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's definitely, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so hey, before we get into geeking out, I do want to, of course. Mention uh, that uh, if anything we talk about tonight, I'll probably, maybe, uh, anything we talk about, if you want to own for your very own and uh, you cannot find it at first at your local brick and mortar store, we do have an Amazon search box on fanboyplanet.com and we are affiliated with Amazon. So any purchase made through an Amazon link on that site on fanboyplanet.com may result, may generate some revenue for us. So small kickback and that helps support in this time. But anyway, uh, so there's that. And of course, if you'd like to join the conversation, one way when we are able to record live like this is to, of course, you can join and watch and you can make comments right there in the comment comment section on YouTube and Facebook both and gladly accept comments throughout the evening. Uh, as well, you can follow us on Facebook at Fanboy Planet. You may know that already. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fanboy Planet. And of course, if you have any questions, comments, commentary, criticism, and just generally want to tell us, hey, you guys are, are fun, uh, you can write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com and very much look forward to reading your feedback, whether live or after the fact. So thank you very much. And I think that's all I wanted to contractually say before we go, hey, Stargirl. <laughs> hey, Stargirl. Hey, Stargirl. Not to be confused with Disney's Stargirl. Uh, which was on Disney Plus, because um, I, I actually I think that they officially do call this like like it's DC's Legends of Tomorrow. I think the CW may be officially saying it's DC Star Girl, just so that they can make sure that no one somehow confuses this and wonders where is the musical. 
Um, and <laughs> so anyway, uh, let yeah, what triggered doing it this week was that there's been a flurry of casting announcements for season two. But I think I really, you got to go back to season one, which to me was one of the truest adaptations. And why not? It's produced, uh, not showrun, but produced and many episodes written by Jeff Johns and James Robinson, uh, who were the people that were very uh, crucial in forming the character of Courtney in the first place back in, back in the comics. Stars and Stripe, right, uh, came fully formed. Courtney Whitmore uh, back in 1997 or 1998, uh, a little whippersnapper of a writer named Jeff Johns nobody ever heard of. Uh, you know, suddenly had this series. It was a great, great series. And Courtney has made it to various versions of the DC multiverse on television. She was in Justice League Unlimited briefly. Uh, she made an appearance in Smallville uh, with the uh, Justice Society episodes, which really in context of the Smallville continuity made no sense, but it's okay because it's just cool that Justice Society suddenly appeared. And uh, she's also appeared in the Arrowverse previously because there was a version of Stargirl on DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Right. And then we get this DC Universe, may it rest in peace, and uh, you know, the, the, as an app, we saw that show, and by the way, I just have to go, we know. Um, <laughs> so that, that we get this pilot which I think is one of the single best pilots I had ever seen, uh, fully formed, you know, laying the groundwork for so much. But then what has been so cool is how much it really pays homage and is true oh, yeah. to the comics. Yeah, I, I, when it, uh, just as it was coming out, the first couple of episodes, I ordered the collection of all the star girl, the paperback, it's a huge paperback. It, yeah. It's, Cause it's the entire run, right? It's hard to get a hold of now. And I read the whole thing through as I was watching the show. And it's, it's really amazing how much they lifted directly from the, from the comics. Um, even some of the shots, you know, you're kind of like, you're looking at it and going, wow, that's, that's so accurate. And the characterizations, the, the, uh, the mean girl at school who ends up being more than a mean girl. Um, yeah. Her, her character is just entirely her physical character is entirely the same in the comic as it is in the in the TV show. And you know, I do have to to say one of the things that they they planted Easter eggs all over the place throughout oh the God. throughout the season. Um, you know, you open with the Injustice Society basically killing the Justice Society, although not everybody. You know, the, they, so weekly we'd watch the episode. Not together, but you know, Chuck and I would comment back and forth like Solomon Grundy. Oh my God, they're taunting us with Solomon. But you know, you couldn't get a clear look until the end. And he showed up later, having killed our man and his wife separately from the rest of the Justice Society. And you know, and then you're you're seeing like hints of powers uh, in that opening battle. So you're like, oh. Good Lord. And then I thought, no, no, no way. It's like the Legends of Tomorrow thing. Like you'd only have Firestorm power up every fourth episode because they'd right. the special effects budget. And that is not the case no. for Stargirl season one. So, uh, you know, that's, and, and so that is, uh, you know, my, my only fear, my concern with it as far as quality is now it is the CW net 
only. It is not DC Universe, although let's see. So season two is supposed to launch maybe in January. Uh, so give it another three months before it starts showing up on HBO Max uh, because that's where they're going to put all the DC Universe programming anyway. Um, and then maybe you'll get some of that sweet, sweet HBO Max uh, money that is able to restore Zack Snyder's Justice League. So if that was something you were waiting for, I, I, I don't know, but it's something that's happening. But <laughs> that you you had so much, and even in the continuity, like before the show started, I was bothered that Sylvester Pemberton was, was Starman and not Skyman, and that they seemed to be ignoring Star Spangled Kid. And then, then they did say, yes, he was the Star Spangled Kid before the JSA with the Seven Soldiers of Victory. And I believe there was just one message on Facebook, two words, with... I think 10 exclamation points that came from Chuck surface one week and said, shining night. <laughs> well, no, at first I was like, at first I was being very careful about spoilers and saying, have you seen it? Have you seen yeah, it? Yeah. No, that was fair. You did ask me first, but yeah. And you'll know what I mean when you see it. <laughs> but I was, I had actually watched that pilot episode at work. I have one of those jobs that uh, gives me free time between when I have to jump in and do what I actually do for a living. And um, I have a partner in the room, and we're together in the middle of the night. And I had my headphones on, and I started going, Solomon Grundy, Solomon Grundy, Solomon Grundy, and like pointing at the screen. Did they like give you something to put a pencil to bite down on? They thought you were right. <laughs> seizing up. Solomon Grundy, born on Monday. Yeah, he's kind of used to me by now, but he's looking and he's going, "What?" And I had to explain it to him. But but as soon as as soon as Icicle said like Grundy, I was okay. You have my attention. You know, and then he came pounding out of the house. I don't know how we're doing on spoilers on here, but uh, he it's came. Season one, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he came pounding out of the house after, after you know, the after after the cars are trying to get away, and I'm just like mind blown, mind blown. And from that moment in, I was just, uh, I was just like, okay, I'm in. You bought, you bought me. I'm sold. You know. Wow. That yeah. That, that was a show that I mean, that first episode would have been the entire special effects budget for a season of, of legends of, of tomorrow. Right. Yeah. And, and they kept on doing it. And when you think about all the, the standard effects that they had, they weren't even practical, like, like the giant robot. And every time she had to sit on the cosmic uh, rod or whatever it was, the staff, is it staff or rod? It's, staff. Yeah. it's the staff. staff. Right? Yeah. Um, and and just float around and all the all the amazing just amazing acrobatics that they were doing around that, um, just it just blew it pretty much blew away every other um, on television uh, superhero show. Right, and that's the production value. But you got to say the writing, even oh. that, that uh, Courtney's uh, being a gymnast and 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 you know plays out. It's like oh yeah, those skills. Uh, Wildcat was doing some amazing thing, and that and that allowed that actress to like start filling in back. You know, I did some research on Ted Grant, so they could fill it in. I was, I think, three episodes in before I realized Henry Thomas Elliot from ET was was Doctor Midnight. Yes, and you know that that that, and it's like I wanted to have more of a physical appearance because I don't know, I don't remember we really truly saw him full on. In that in the pilot episode, so I would love it if somehow there's a flashback in season two where we can see those like Henry Thomas should get to put on Charles McKnighter's, and 
there's something weird about time too, because when uh, when Beth puts on the goggles and they and she sees the profile, Charles McNider is still listed as being born in 1918. And so if JSA if the JSA was killed in like 2010, you know, then there's something else that's got to, and, and we were also hypothesizing that, you know, Hootie is a magical uh, owl of immortality uh, that's kept them all perhaps magically young. You know, it, no one has questioned, like the thing with Star Spangled Kid and Stripesy, those are characters that are completely born out of, out of World War II. And that's, right. and I think that was Smallville's problem with JSA, with the JSA was it just didn't make sense. And yet I think we've all as an audience evolved enough. And this was a big risk for the CW to put on because I was also very afraid that Stargirl was going to seem like another CW show. And I think the soap opera all did does organically come from characterization. And I'm, I, I'm okay with that, but Everybody's a you know the audience is sophisticated enough where everybody's grown up, whole generations watching the animated series, getting into this where they don't even have to make it a problem. There's no backflips to justify why there was this costumed group, uh, you know, just ten years prior. But there was I, any, I still love an even older group with with an Oliver Queen because that's the thing. The I, yeah. I, I unfortunately for Journey Planet. Uh, there was a super group, at, or was it a drink tank? A super group issue that I was going to write an episode, uh, an article on the Seven Soldiers of Victory. So I, I, I was reading the, this, and they're a group that had don't have that many appearances, no. and you know, and also oddly discovered never actually called the Seven Soldiers of Victory in their own adventures most often refer to themselves as the Law's Legionnaires. So it's kind of this super group that I thought no way would they ever actually talk about them. It's just, you know, it's a, it's an interesting, you know, once you saw J Sir Justin as the shine, you know, not, not even really, we barely saw him truly become the shining knight. Um, you know, I thought, well, that was, that would just be it. Sir Justin would be set, would be separate. But I was with Chuck. I was like, I, did his name tag say Justin? Dang! And then they waited a couple of episodes to pay that off. But if you were a fan, you 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 know you immediately right. knew. And then you get season one ending with with what leads us into these castings, right? Um, you see, uh, Chuck or Rick, what's the name of the Bean Girls um, villain identity? Um, the Shiv. Shiv. Mm -hmm. That Shiv finds the black diamond. Right. And you know that's a Calypso. And it's like, hmm, all right. We're get uh, I certainly would have never thought that any television series ever would do would touch Eclipso other than an animated one, maybe. But Eclipso's pretty dark. I missed it. I missed this the first time I watched it. I missed this the first time I watched it, but they actually made an Eclipso reference. Much, much, much earlier than than that final show. Tell me, yeah, and it had a little switch and change to it. So, as we know later in Eclipso's history, it's Alex Montez who was who was the cousin in comic books. He was the cousin of Yolanda Montez, the Wildcat. And after she apparently dies, he takes up a whole aspect of vengeance and you know injects himself with the stone and and right. 
Stone and you know has the tribal tattoos and joins Black Adam's little conduct, you know, click. Yeah. And Yolanda's brother on the show, who stands up for her, you know, when the family is down on her for this whole weird sex scandal thing, which is which is which is I kind of like because it kind of put her in a teenage spot that I think a lot of teenagers could relate to. Right. Um, yeah. In terms of a plot point. But her brother is Alex Montez. And so I had, you know, at first that kind of went over my head. And as I was reviewing notes today, I was like, you, you, you slick doubles. You know, you got yeah. that in much sooner, but just a little change to a. Uh, there to, are just uh, little know? changes in continuity that make so much more sense from a streamlined television storytelling. And, and I'm finding them so much, like I said, more, I forgive them more because they pulled them off so well. And, and, and it's that kind of thing. Like we've seen. So the thing that got me most excited um, more than Eclipso, well, I loved that they referenced the shade because please, you know, I mean, I've got those Starman omnibuses. Well, they're not omnibuses, deluxe editions, you know, all signed by James Robinson and the shade, what he did with that character that I knew from the secret society of supervillains and made me go, my God, this is one of the best characters in all of the DC universe to have him just show up. And this is before they've cast him, so we should give them credit. As you mentioned, they've now ca announced casting. Nick Tarabay is Eclipso. Um, and you said, Chuck, he was Boomerang in Air the Arrowverse? In the Arrowverse, yeah, in the Green Arrow original shows, yeah. Okay, so, but this is Earth 2. It's a separate Earth. So he could Earth. look exactly like a different supervillain in, you know, in the, in the uh, on Earth 1. Uh, and then an actor named Jonathan Cake has been cast as the Shade. Uh, so that's really cool. And then the thing that got me excited, because I have a personal thing with uh, this comic, basically comic comedic actor, but really more fantastic stand-up comic who's been in the news a lot in the last couple of months anyway, um, because it was it, my, my son and I bonded over his stand-up because it was clean and funny. And, you know, he has a book called Dad is Fat. And that's something my my son would say. Uh, so uh, it's Jim Gaffigan is going to be Thunderbolt. And the and Entertainment Weekly announces it and says, like, oh, maybe Courtney's little brother is going to do Yes. No, no, no. Exactly. This is clearly someone who read the press release and, and speculated but doesn't know the comics history that already twice, though we haven't seen him, the series has, re has referenced Jakeem. And so they can cast somebody else, Jakeem Thunder, who took Johnny Thunder's place with the Thunderbolt. We've already seen the pen stolen that uh, he that that uh, the Thunderbolt exists in, and is it is 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 one of the alternate names he was given later? Yeah, uh, YZ uh, Ease, uh, and in some versions of reality, to, to tie it into what people. Um, who may have the, the, this more familiarity, he has been connected in some continuities with Mr. Mixes of Patulik. So they are still, uh, that they're supposedly from the same fifth dimension post-crisis. They weren't pre-crisis. And if you're still with me, uh, you know, that's why you're here. Uh, <laughs> but, and I was thinking back, because I had that um, dollar comic reprint of Flash Comics number one, where the first Johnny Thunder story was in, and I don't think he's actually revealed originally as the source of Johnny's abilities. Like Johnny would just say the magic word, say you, 
and things would happen, and then they figured they should anthropomorphize what was doing it. Uh, you know, a couple of issues later, a couple stories later, because Johnny was never um, a lead character, and yet I think if you've read Doomsday Clock, and uh, I think in Rebirth too, he Jeff Johns loves Johnny Thunder because he's central to Doomsday Clock, sort of in a way that I still can't understand what was supposed to have happened with him. But uh, he was also central to Rebirth. Like, I think Jeff Johns kept wanting to make him central to bring the Justice Society back, and somebody editorially would shift things so he couldn't. But, you know, he's a cool character, and I'm not positive if it was Jeff Johns who created Jakeem. It was in Flash Comics when Wally West was was the Flash. Uh, but I'm not he sure if that was he sure if put that was spotlight in his just JSA run though you know yeah Gun. yeah but he got the pen he got the thunderbolt right. in in the flash uh, Jay Garrick accidentally gave him the pen and uh, not realizing that it held the thunderbolt uh, so I don't know if if Jeff did that or if Mark Wade did that um, but either way you're right it's the that JSA run which DC is very cleverly oh let's just say AT and T is very cleverly reprinting there's these there's these uh, Je Jeff Johns JSA omnibus editions that have been quietly rolling out into comic book stores all across the land, um, and that's good comics. Like I'm uh, when I figure out when I'm gonna where I'm gonna put a new bookshelf, uh, I will be buying those to have because they're absolutely worth rereading. And that's with David S. Goyer started that with Jan with uh, Johns and uh, James Robinson came in and his Starman's connected. But I don't think we'll see. I'd love it if Jack Jack Knight showed up. But can I just say that I think Jeff Johns has done as much for um, um, sort of a sort of a revival for Golden Age comics as much as Roy Thomas did for it back, like in the seventies and eighties. I mean, he has really picked up that mantle and, and wants you to love these characters and wants to make them relevant for today. And um, by God, thank you, Jeff Johns. You know. Yeah, as I as I always say, it, you know, when Jeff is on a roll, he is on a roll. You know, there's no doubt. Even though I I think it's the very thing we that we all love John Favreau for with the Mandalorian. You know, he's the Mandalorian is is John Favreau with his Kenner action figures yes. from childhood, going, "This is the story. This is the way." You know, and then he gets <laughs> to put it on film and uh, or video. And and, uh, and Jeff Johns is the same way, you know, way back when, I think 2001 is when he did a really long interview uh, early on in his career on, on Fanboy Planet. And one of the things was, these were the comics that older cousins and, and older brothers were reading in the, you know, in the, he was finding in boxes in the attic in the seventies. And, um, you know, so yeah, he's got an affection for those things to some extent that has, been weird for the for DC Comics in that you know a whole generation grew up thinking John Stewart was Green Lantern and suddenly Hal Jordan was back and Barry Allen had sacrificed him well so that's the only thing I'd say with Jeff is that he doesn't like to say goodbye to characters like let them rest sure. but and, and but it's it's okay it's the DC universe because every five years continuity reboots again so you know that <laughs> and restarts and I think he's restarted himself like four different times so. And this is the same thing. He's been involved every time Courtney has appeared in media, and you know this is the time he that he got to do it absolutely right. You know, aside from the actual comic, because 
I he didn't have that much power when she appeared on Smallville. He was sort of executive producer, but torn in a lot of different directions as chief creative officer when she appeared on Legends of Tomorrow. But this time, he could really focus. And for those who don't know, she was modeled after his sister who died in a plane crash at the age of 16. Right. Right. So, you know, the, to me, uh, I, you know, that, that has to be the most insanely personal character almost any creator has ever come up with because he can write the potential that his real sister never got to do, you know, but, uh, and never got to be. And this is the comic was a great honor to her. And this show is, you know, they don't make a big deal out of it in publicity, but it is, you know, it's like, you can, you can feel the passion. Like again, when Jeff Johns at his best in writing comics, you can feel the passion in every episode of this series. I think it's also a great show from the standpoint of introducing these characters that nobody nobody in the mainstream has even heard about. And we're, we're talking about the way the storytelling goes. It's perfect for introducing them to a new audience, for getting, for getting all the backstory and the origin of this new generation of heroes. Um, that's just brilliant. It's, it's, a, it's a perfect story for television. And they finally figured out, you can just say, uh, you know, trust me, there were these seven soldiers of victory. And we'll get around to them eventually, or we won't. We'll do flashbacks when you need them. And you know what? And you know what? It's not like when we were kids. Like, remember, I used to get my uh, Golden Age fix from those uh, 60 cent, and then later they were a dollar, like for 100 pages, and they had the Oh, my God, yeah. That's that's how I got my fix. And, like, I got a little taste. And I'm like, okay, how am I going to learn more about the seven soldiers of victory? You know, I think they republished uh, like the, the Black Star thing, but but people jumping in on this now today, uh, they can get online and get electronic copies. Um, there's any number of trade trade paperback or omnibus editions. Um, it's it's much more easy now to just go get uh, go get caught up on your history, and go find out exactly what the uh, other versions and the origins and the history of these characters are. Yeah, I had to pay for these big archive editions, you know, that they're 50 bucks a piece. Um, yeah. And then to realize that's all there was. Like, there's only three volumes in archives, and the, and the last story was never even actually published at the time. They reprinted it in the 70s, or printed it in the 70s for the first time. And this is a flaw in the DC Universe app. There was also in the back of Adventure Comics a script that had never actually been illustrated in the 40s. And they got, for the time, it's like a who's who of, of people that were about to become insanely huge. And oh. on DC Universe, the last chapter is not is missing. They went from the Spectre and Adventure with, with seven soldiers in the back, in the backup, to Aquaman. And like there's one Spectre story that they didn't bother with too. So I'm like reading through going, crap, but you have Howard Shaken. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, I think Mike Kaluta did, did a, a chapter Yeah, and with, uh, I think maybe that was the one with green arrow or maybe it was Chaykin who did the green arrow. But I mean, it, it's like, I was looking at this going like, these are giants and they weren't giants then. So it's absolutely, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, DC universe now is becoming DC infinite is they say now there's gonna be like 21,000 new comics or, or maybe it's 12,000, but it, you know, that they're, they're upping. Uh, their game as to how much is there since now it's really just their version of Marvel comics unlimited. Yeah. And, you know, so uh, 
it's just a streaming comic book service or will be in January. So, but you're, but you're absolutely right, Chuck. Like you can find all this stuff in a way we couldn't. I bought a, yeah, 60 cent justice league. Maybe it was 50 cents. Even that's how old I am. Those hundred pages were 50 cents when I started, uh, you know, and, 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 what? Get off my lawn. And, and, and yeah, they were in the backup. Uh, and then I remember letters page referencing one of the JLA JSA crossovers, you know, and that's and that's that came came back. Len Wein brought them back in in Justice League 100, I think, um, with the seven soldiers and realized there was an eighth soldier, which I think they will not do because uh, it's uh, it's wing, right? Um, he was in the photo though. He's what? He was in the photo that they showed on the television. Yeah. Well, you know, and this is the interesting thing. So if we can talk about it, if they do this for season two, uh, yes, there is some um, problematic yet sadly very standard um, stereotypical uh, portrayal of the Crimson Avengers sidekick wing. Um, But here's the thing, and actually reading the stories, though the dialect is awful. You know, it's wing is also one of those things where he is the smartest guy in the room. He's often smarter than the Crimson Avenger. And so it's really frustrating to realize that you could get away, like, you know, almost get understand why a generation of readers would grow up thinking all these horrible stereotypical things because that's what comics were in the 40s. And yet there's the flip side of even though it's like this comedic dialect and it's not funny, He's so smart. He absolutely deserved to be there as one of the seven soldiers, or as I said, one of the law's legionnaires. No number, therefore there could be eight. It didn't matter that it was not, uh, you know. (laughs) And that's that's how they can redeem that history on this show is by focusing in on that aspect of him as the smartest guy in the room and an actual contributor, you know, rather than just the guy with the buck teeth and the and the yellow face and the and the and the boxer shorts, and that ties into and that ties into why I think it absolutely has to be Jakeem Thunder that gets the pen, you know, and, and plays with the Thunderbolt. Because um, as you said, that article sort of hinted at it being being the younger brother, Mike Dugan. And what does, that, what does that look like? What does that look like if you have this person of color superhero, and then all of a sudden on a show you give it to the white kid, you know? So, and, and if they do, you know, this you're right. It's been it's been there's something else to speak about diversity, and that there's they're fighting ageism because if Charles yeah. McKnighter is a hundred years old, I know it's an AI now, but if he was 90 when he was fighting crime and you know, that's Beth's Beth, Beth Chapel's best friend. Um, you know, though that speaks other things too, you know, that, that there's that if they do what was briefly done in the comics, that the Thunderbolt is actually Johnny. Yeah. And Jim Gaffigan plays him as old. There is something very interesting, That's an interesting to be thought. to be done done with it. You know, I mean, which then in the recent comics, that's kind of you know Johnny Thunder has been close to hundred years old, and you know it'd just be kind of cool. Seven Soldiers back to you. I want to see the Vigilante, the classic one. I never liked. Sorry to Marv Wolfman. I never liked the Teen Titans update. The Adrian Chase and the one that's shown up on Arrow. Um, I always just loved the idea that it was basically like a Lone Ranger kind of guy on a motorcycle, a Hollywood yes. singing cowboy. Wasn't he on who, a Vespa? 
Uh, no, it was supposed to be a motorcycle. <laughs> my, my Slurpee cup was clearly a motorcycle. And that's and that's the other way. I think that's how I first, even before I had that 50 Cent Justice League of America issue, was at least the vigilante uh, showed up on a Slurpee cup. And it was yeah. so bizarre. Did you like, know he oh. had a Yeah, he has two. Um, so he had... Um, Billy, oh golly, I can't think of what Billy's last name is, but he's old. Again, another one, his, his original sidekick was like an old Hollywood stuntman who was, and uh, Chuck, I'm sorry you've uh, frozen up, so duck out and, and come back in and we'll, we'll keep it going. Um, yeah, it was Holly, Billy appeared in several, several episodes and then it became uh, a character known as the Chinatown Kid. And uh, so let me just... Uh, this is the, the hazards of doing this, you know, is we'll bring him back in. Let's see. Oh, he's in. He's back in. Yes. Okay, good. Uh, so the Chinatown kid was in several, and I think that's who James Robinson used in uh, there's a vigilante miniseries he wrote in the late 90s with the single creepiest of all the arch enemies. And I want to see that guy show up, which is the dummy. Oh, oh. my God. Um, and so, uh, you know, Robinson used him in the, in the vigilante miniseries he did. Um, but the dummy, you, if you put that character in and that's not like the Batman, the ventriloquist and star and Scarface. And I think the dummies, even in that black star story you mentioned up, up, up front, uh, is that everybody thinks he's a dummy, a ventriloquism dummy. And no, it's like, I don't know. I don't even know. Was he actually wooden and came to life or is he some guy who made himself look like a ventriloquism dummy? He was really supposed to be Charlie McCarthy. And I know from personal experience, Charlie McCarthy can be really dang creepy. So uh, there's so much that will, I hope doesn't get lost when it becomes just a CW series. You know, that, that this has just been so cool. I hope season two is as, as great. The casting is, the potential with that casting is great because that just means the characters are going to be terrific. You give me a sh the shade who is sometimes helping Courtney, sometimes tripping her up because that's more fun today. Um, I'm going to be really, really thrilled. So um, let us turn. Uh, we're running a little longer than we've been doing with the, with the video ones, but let's turn to comics. It's been a long time. And I, I at this point, I'm going to apologize to everybody. Um, the watching and, and listening, there was a WordPress update and a Blueberry PowerPress. That's how we, how we published the podcast on the site. And it broke in August in an update. And then it suddenly came back. And then another update came and broke it again. Broke and I think it was like a week and a half ago, finally another update went. And I and I was like, all right, I'm going to test. It works. And so, you know, I uh, told Rick and said, so this week we got to get back into podcasting because <laughs> for now, people, it works. And I'm excited uh, to be able to continue. So let's talk about comics. Uh, I, Chuck, I, I know I'm putting you on the spot. So I'm saying it's a book of the month. Like in you, uh, I feel like I'm like like I, I'm almost dared by you on a monthly, at least a monthly basis. When you go, oh, I've got this sweet box of books coming in, and blah blah blah, and I go, oh my god, that's in, uh, you know. So buying trades and omnibuses, Rick is the one who made me start getting into omnibuses. But um, 
but you're the one who teases me like, no, you got to have them all. You're you're like the Pokemon uh, hunter, you know. Got to have them all if they're DC. If they're yeah. Uh. <laughs> so since you're the guest, what what book or 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 I don't know if you read comics individually uh, or if you're just if you are just a trade paperback or hardcover guy. I'm just a trade paperback and hardcover guy anymore. So I'm always sort of a step behind, uh, you know, the current the current trend. And, and I'm okay with it. I'm okay with that because I read it for the enjoyment. You know, it's not homework to me. Um, so I don't have to keep us up as like you guys do that are doing these kind of things regularly. But um, what, what I've discovered recently um, are, are some titles that, that haven't been out that long. Um, and I think a couple and a couple of them are actually even done. And, and one that really captured my attention was Scotty Young's I Hate Fairyland. Mm. Um, and it's, it's just dead hilarious. It's, it's a send up of everything. And every trope that's ever been used on a, on a fairy tale and the story surrounds a, a girl named Gertrude that falls through a hole and ends up in Fairyland. And she's there for 38 years and has been aging uh, inside, although she remains youthful outside, uh, much like the Justice Society. But um, um, she's angry and violent. It all ties in. Good, good job. Yeah. So, so she's angry. She's violent. Uh, it's it's one of those things you better not bring your kids. But it's just some of the most absolutely hilarious stuff uh, I've ever read. It comes out through Image Comics. Um, the series is complete, so you can you can get the complete series and and go for it. And another one I discovered uh, comes out from Eric Powell, the guy who does the Goon. Yeah, and it's called Hillbilly. And I think it has a huge appeal for anyone that's into like Robert E. Howard, Solomon Kane, because he's that kind of wandering. Warrior, he's not religious in the sense that Solomon Cain was, but um, um, a witch, he's a witch killer. Goes after demons, witches, and um, it's Eric Powell. Um, and and I've been also catching up with. I know you guys have talked about this, uh, the Immortal Hulk, which which to me is probably among the best of uh, the Hulk the Hulk uh, iterations that I've uh, ever experienced. It's like a it's like a wrapped up history and celebration of the Hulk. And just just part horror, part science fiction, and there's a psychological element, and the characters all have depth. And I've never experienced anything like it. And, I, and I've heard it's supposed to wrap up with issue fifty, right? Yeah, but they're doing something interesting right now because um, I, I just I bagged and boarded them up from to give to my son. Um, that there's going to be a series of one shots where there are so many creators I, I, this is how i choose to believe is the is what's happening there are so many cre creators clamoring to write this version of the hulk that they're doing one shots right now so jeff Le jeff lemire just or maybe it was scott snyder dang it i don't have it next to me just did it just did a one shot uh right. the threshing place i think and i bought it because my son really loves it <clears throat> loves the the character and I thought I was just like, God, you know, do they have to keep going back to the well? Like this is such a beautifully told epic from Al Ewing, you know, uh, with the Immortal Hulk. And I remember, like, I loved Mark Wade on Champions, and as soon as somebody else wrote his version of the Champions, it wasn't his version of the Champions. It was wrong. So I thought, no, you know, what is the? Nobody else can write the Immortal Hulk, but Al Ewing. And no, the threshing place was actually like, oh, I see. You know, they've really gotten to the root of what makes the immortal Hulk as a, as a psychologist, you'd say. Um, you know, I won't spoil which one it was, um, you know, but it was a personality that had been created by some, I think Peter David first established it in, in his. 
um, and that that's that that's who the Immortal Hulk actually is, but nobody's ever given the spotlight this long. Like that version works really well in a lot of different situations and a lot of different writers. I actually have hope for these one shots, not just feeling the you've got me buying Hulk regularly again, but um, you know, and I'll I think uh, sorry, Nate Costa, if you're watching, I, I will probably stop after Al Ewing ends it. And there'll be a different version of the Hulk in the future, but but you're right, Chuck. I think that's that's just the it's just the best run there's been in in a couple of decades. So, um, Rick, what's on your? Well, I uh, it's a a longtime favorite book of mine that hasn't been around for a while, and it's a brand new name for the book. But it's a writer that we've talked about uh, often enough because the last the last thing I read of his was. Superman smashes the clan. Yes. And this is, of course, this is Gene Luan Yang, who is just fabulous all over the place. But he writes, he can go from this. I know exactly what book you're going to choose. Yes. To Shang-Chi, master of Kung Fu, but they've left, they've dropped the master of Kung Fu here. It's, it's, it's Shang-Chi because he's just an interesting character. Um, That's a weird subtitle for it. Yeah, it's you, it's not very big, big on the paper. Um, what you? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm reading Michael. Um, I know, and I'm doing that just to take him off now too. So, let's yeah. guest uh, guest appearance by Mike Rabel from Cinequest. Yes, okay, good. So Shang Chi was kind of an interesting character um, back in the uh, '80s, uh, and part of it was Marvel had the rights to use the character Fu Manchu. Sax Romer's uh, pulp uh, ultimate villain, a- Asian uh, um, master of uh, villainy. And they used him by making him the father to this new hero who came out during the 70s. It was during the 70s, yeah. um, during the Kung Fu movie craze and then, and then into comics. So it was Shang-Chi who was trained to be an assassin for his father, but then got turned by figuring out that his father wasn't exactly the greatest guy. And so we had a number back in those days that we had these great epic stories that combined the best of like Bruce Lee and James Bond. That's, that's just like the culmination of it right there Mm -hmm. Uh, with, with huge, uh, with, with huge masterminds and Ken Adams style cinematic fortresses for them to break into. And, that lasted for a long time, and then the book went away. They've come back; it's come back a couple times. This book, uh, the current incarnation, has been around since about 2010, 2011, with um, with the Secret Avengers, and we've got a Shang Shang Chi who's more grounded, um, more urban, and uh, is no longer the out of place in society. He's not. He's not the uh, He's not the person who was brought up in his father's uh, garden temple for years. Right, right. Because that's played and, out. But, but this book is dealing with some of the storyline issues that have been around for a long time that they've had trouble reconciling. Because Marvel lost the rights to use the, use the character Fu Manchu. So for the longest time, Shang-Chi would have referred to his father or just not at all. He was just like written out of the storyline. And this is bringing him back. As a as a as a yet unnamed character who says, "I have gone by many names," 
So we can we can connect him and say this is the same character that we originally saw in the in the uh, Master Kung Fu book moving forward. So that's cool. What's really cool is Yang's writing in this because he has he puts the ultra cool Eastern calm of Bruce Lee. And there was a two page spread. I put this up on my Facebook earlier. I know you saw it, Derek. Um, but there's, there's this terrific scene where Shang is going to go in and he's dropping in by parachute into uh, basically uh, a, a, an enemy fortress. Let's just go with that. And his, his, his parachute gets blown out and he, bounces off some trees and makes his way to the ground. And then he fights these two warriors that have been sent to take him down. And he takes them down instead. And then he breaks to give guidance counseling to one of the soldiers saying, you know, you're not really good at this job. Maybe you should look for another job. Your, your buddy's okay, but you need to maybe take up baking. And I, I could, that's going to come back to haunt him. I, I, that I couldn't help but hear the deadly buns of kung fu. It's coming. The the, the, the <laughs> that was such a Bruce Lee scene, without being without being a knockoff of Bruce Lee and still being Shang Chi. And I'm just loving this book. The characters in it they're re, they're they're expanding his mythos without without invalidating the prior mythos. And so again, this is well, only up to issue two. Shang Chi, my book of the month, maybe of the quarter. So, so I, and I knew that I bought the first issue and I, and I went, yes, uh, Rick's going to talk about it if we can get back to podcasting and I enjoyed it too. So yes, Chuck. So you're telling me they walked away from that unhappy period where they were trying to make Shang like the collective, the Chinese collective man. Yeah. Yeah. You remember a little bit of sadness. Yeah. Yeah. And, what they're and really they, trying to do is make sure that there is a bunch of good, 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 good books on the stand when Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings yeah. come out, you know, because Simu Liu, uh, the actor playing him in the films, in the films, I hope, many films, many films, um, is terrific. You know, I, I, no, I haven't seen him as Shang-Chi, but you watch uh, Kim's Convenience Absolutely. on Netflix. Uh, I, I refuse to uh, binge it because when life sucks, I can put on 23 minutes of this Canadian sitcom and go, yeah, yeah, it's hard for everybody, but you can be a decent person and things work out. And, and he's such a great actor. So I'm, I'm super excited. And uh, we should also mention that the, the actual title character in Kim's convenience appeared as a, as a rebel pilot last week in the Mandalorian. And it turns out he's quite a cosplayer on his own already. And he gave them notes on what his uniform should look like. So, so hopefully this bodes well for the movie. I hadn't even thought about it, that that, that was a potential. Uh, I, I'm just gushing over the book that I just loved. I'm not even thinking forward to the movie. I, I know, but I draw all those connections. I, I did want to mention something from Chuck's uh, I Hate Fairyland, because mm-hmm. Derek Derek has, uh, has uh, reviewed that before, and if somebody goes to seek that out, we want to make sure that they understand that book has two names. Uh, yeah, the European name is is not safe for this show. Yeah, uh, they, right. Thank you, thank you, Chuck. Yes. It, uh, so of, I think Chuck mentioned it's not for kids, and I will stress that again. It's right. not for kids, um, but it is funny. Yeah, it is funny. 
So um, my, my choice, uh, I, I actually reviewed on the site as well because I, I, I'd heard the raves, I picked it up, and I think this, uh, this is the timeliest uh, title that we could have right now. Uh, it's by James Tynan IV. It's called The Department of Truth. And, and uh, I don't know if you guys are picking up, Chuck, when it comes into a collection, you need to read The Department of Truth. And it's basically, it's not just about conspiracy theories. In the second issue, there's that question like, what's your favorite conspiracy theory? Which one do you wish was true? And I thought, that's kind of a fun game. It's like, you know, what superpower? Invisibility or flight? Which would you take, you know? It's like, which one do you like? And the answer is lizard people. And I went, I love that one. But it's not, but the book isn't funny. Because I definitely believe, you know, I shouldn't say I believe. I, I am intrigued by the idea that, like, I think Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore both really posited this first. That, you know, what does it matter what's actually real if enough people believe something that, it, I mean, we're watching that play out in the country right now. If enough people believe it, for them, it's true. And so that's what the Department, the Department of Truth's job is to make sure that, that certain, that certain uh, conspiracy theories don't reach critical mass because wow. then they become truth. And in the first issue, this FBI agent is, is being recruited into them, and he is basically taken by an expedition to the, uh, to the Antarctic to see the wall of ice where the earth is flat because they're, a flat, they're flat earthers. And, and the billionaires funding it know perfectly well that, no, it's not. But if they can make enough people believe it, and then that becomes reality, it's easier to manipulate everything else. Wow. And then the second issue gets into, and I remember this, I was in college and, and in Los Angeles at the time. Uh, and this is kind of weird. They brought up, they just ca casually toss off and it becomes crucial that, you know, in the eighties, like the entire country was gripped into believing that there were satanic cults everywhere yeah. preying on small children. And it's literally been, you know, what, 35 years. And I, and I don't think about that. I go like, yeah, that, and, and really, that was weird because I remember the McMartin preschool case right. where this, these people, and they might, they did seem creepy on the news. There's no doubt about that, but they were innocent, but their entire lives were destroyed by this accusation. And they're, you know, and so I was thinking that's, that's weird. And then it comes up, it's like, you know, that's creeping back up too. And when you think about Pizzagate, right. And, and all that, it's like, so I wrote in the review, there's never been a better, I mean, this is crucial. We are watching this play out. There's a flip side book, too, that, Chuck, I think you're going to enjoy called Crossover, um, literally called Crossover, in which one of those big, you know, omniverse uh, spanning cross superhero crossovers actually breaks into the real world. And they basically have to seal off Colorado because that's where the fight is. And All it's right. been going on for three years, and no one knows what's happening in there. But like Watchmen says, you know, in a world of superheroes, everybody likes pirate comics. The only comics that people want are, are Westerns, romance, and the comic book store owners are the still the keepers of the faith, still loving superhero comics. But everybody else thinks superheroes are horrible because basically no one can get into the state of Colorado. And if your family was still there, you don't know if they're alive or dead, if they've been killed in some huge battle. And I think that hope is going to be coming out of this book, but it was interesting that Image has these both about what is 
what is our collective belief worth and what can it do to the nature of reality? So I, I, I'm going to give the edge to the Department of Truth, but I, I really want crossover to, to, to be a favorite book because it's, it's, it seems more hopeful. The Department of Truth seems too honest for something that's about conspiracy and, and fiction, but it's really, really good. And you can draw a straight line artistically from Neil Adams, Bill Sienkiewicz, to uh, the guy that drew 30, 30 Days of Night, uh, Ben Templesmith, and then to the artist here on, on the Department of Truth. And it's just interesting watching that, that you line. Said, you said Neil Adams. Did you mean Bill Sienkiewicz? No, Sienkiewicz was part of Neil Adams, was trained by Adams. And okay. when he so when Sinkevich started, so it's a straight. I, when he started, I credit, it's a straight line back to Neil Adams. Okay, Sinkevich was one of his acolytes, and what he was doing on Moon Knight, you know, then goes and and New Mutants, and then Ben Templesmith took it another step, right. and then what? And, and then the artist, and because I, I don't have the book next to me, I I don't recall his name offhand. The artist on the Department of Truth is you see all those influences blended into something that is familiar and unsettling all at the same time. And uh, it's just, uh, it's a book I absolutely recommend. If you can still find, I know that image went back to press on the first issue. So you should be able to find a reprint of it, a second printing of it in your local comic shop. And I think this is why comic shops matter. I would not have bothered picking it up if it was not Cardi Angelo at earth two's favorite book right now. And so he put it prominently on display at earth two and I walked in and went, okay, yeah. I've been hearing enough about it. And, oh, there's like 30 copies right here. It's I, I got to give it a read. And then, yeah, hooked. So two yeah, issues. Right. I'm doing curbside pickup of my comics. I don't go in. And so I'm, I'm, I know I'm missing out on stuff. And I've had to call Neil a couple times and say, hey, do you still have this? And he says, yeah. Then he puts it in my box. So, so far, yeah, I know, and, and that that is tough. I, you know, it, it's I, I, it, it, I am only going to the comic shop like maybe once a month, uh, so I got to hope on the box, and and I hope that like a good, uh, you know, that the retailer loves a particular book, and gives it a focus, and keeps it in stock. Yeah, you know, I don't care if I have a first printing. I just want to read a story, uh, read the good story, and and there it is. So. Hey, thanks, everybody, for being with us. And uh, once again, I want to acknowledge Michael Rabel, the unofficial fourth member tonight of the podcast, uh, who is right. Rick is extremely passionate about Shang-Chi. The only thing that he would get more passionate about is if Shang-Chi became the leader of S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, and, and that Jim yeah, see, look, look. And if Steranko came out of, you know, started drawing it again, you know, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. again. So, Anyway, there we go. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. If you're watching live and for your comments, uh, watch later, and you can still comment, and we'll get them. Uh, all, so I do want to say, again, if you've got any comments, criticism, compliments, commentary, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. Uh, I know there's a lot of podcasts. Everybody has one. That's my joke with David Avalone. Eventually, everybody will. But you took the time to watch this one or to listen to this one when it comes out. And so thank you. Thank you so much. I'm Derek McCaw, Editor-in-Chief of FanboyPlanet.com. Yes. <laughs> Rick was going to go next. Sorry. What was that? What was that? Hey, hey, hey. I'm Chuck Surface. There you go. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder, reminding you to use your powers for good.
We practiced that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.